Thank you very much, Brother Samuelson. Praise the Lord, everybody. I want to sing this little chorus. I've anchored my soul in that haven of rest. I tell you, I marveled at that choir singing that song. I thought, you know, if I wasn't preaching, I could really get into that. My, my, my. Is it well with your soul tonight? Is it? Wave your hand. Praise the Lord. appreciate getting to be here. Good to be with good district superintendent. I'm sure that all of you folks feel safe and confident knowing that a godly man like this leads your district. I have a feeling every pastor in this district can go to bed every night with that wonderful, comfortable feeling 
we have a man leading us who is a man of God. And I have great appreciation for Brother Simerson. All of you, you've been so kind to me. Thank you for all of your kindness. And, of course, it's good to be back with Brother Pastor Jim Larson and this assembly. I'm anxious to see the new church finished. And, uh, you know, Brother uh, Larson, uh, the way I traveled when we were building our new church, I had to turn it over to my wife. And, Brother, did she ever get the job done? Those people that I asked to come and work, they uh, would... They were like the man that asked his son to go work in the field. They went. They said, we'll go, and they went not. Well, when she came along, I was going to have to be across the country somewhere at a special meeting. She would say, my husband needs you so bad. They would just pour in there and work. And, of course, she knows a lot more about building than I do. That beautiful, sweet, petite lady, you wouldn't know it, thank it. But she could look at at wood and tell you what it is, what material it is. She can look at paint and tell you what it is and the the uh, uh, quality and all of that. So she, uh, I'd come home on the weekends and I'd think, now we're going to get in the church in uh, about six weeks. And I'd get up and say, folks, we'll probably be in the church about si- in about six weeks. And she'd stand behind me and and do like this, twenty weeks. See, she knew more about it than I did. Finally, that six weeks uh, was up after about 24 weeks, and we got in our our new building. But I know that uh, you're going to be relieved and happy and thrilled and excited when you get in that new building. I, I just want you to promise me one thing. You'll call me and give me a report of that first meeting. I'm anxious to hear I have a feeling that's going to be a day of rejoicing. And I hope we can come back for a conference sometime and uh, just sit back and really get to enjoy that finished product. It'll be beautiful. It'll be something you'll be thankful for. And certainly we'll show the blessings of the Lord upon Calvary Tabernacle. Coming here through the years, I've enjoyed it so very much. God bless all of you. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53. In the original, the 53rd chapter would have to begin with verse 13 of chapter 52 because it is the same subject all the way through. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently, shall be exalted and extolled, and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they see, that which they had not heard shall they consider. Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows 
and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shares is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. Another opportunity we have to try to preach the word. We stand here helpless, completely powerless, incapable and insufficient without the help of God. I plead with you tonight, one more time, let us feel that tender touch of the loving hand of God. Anoint our efforts tonight. Anoint your word. Make it a blessing to our hearts, I pray, in the wonderful and precious and glorious name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. The Lord bless you. Brother Richard Martin was so kind to me today. Drove me to Anderson, Indiana, to walk into the home, Brother and Sister Bibbs. When I walked into the house, I was not prepared for what I was to see. The last time I saw Brother Bibbs, even though his health was failing, he was still on his feet strong with that determined look in his face, and I saw him sitting in a recliner and uh, wasted away skin and bones, but I still saw that determined look in his eyes. We visited for a while. He asked that we would remember him in prayer, and after the visit, we were getting ready to leave. I said, Brother Bibbs, Brother Martin and I are going to pray, but we're going to kneel one on each side of your chair. And instead of us praying for you, we're going to ask you to lay your hand on us and pray for us. And Brother Martin, I can still almost feel the touch of that hand on the back of my head and the back of my neck. And he wept as he prayed with us, for us. And I wept. It was such a wonderful visit. Such a prophet of God, so stricken without, yet so strong within. I said, Brother Bibbs, if there would be any message you would like for me to deliver to this conference tonight, what would it be? He would say, and he said it without hesitation, tell all those people to walk with God and don't let anything stop them. I feel that I owe a debt to that dear brother who was your leader for so many years and certainly a strong man in the faith. And I, it was a thrill to me to get to be with him for a little while. Maybe the last time I'll ever see him in this life. But he's looking forward to that glorious appearing of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And I would like to preach using this question tonight. Who shall declare his generation? And my subject would be, declare his generation or lose it, one or the other. Declare it or lose it. Declare it or lose it. And it's up to you and I to declare his generation. It's up to you and I to carry the banner. It's up to the young men of this district to pick up the torch that Brother Bibbs carried so long. And so strong, so firm, so clean in his living, so godly in his character. It's up to you and I to try to emulate that beautiful example that was left us. And it was a good example, and thank God for those that have gone before us. I feel that I owe a debt, perhaps a greater debt than anybody, to this generation. I have fought a lot of pressures, a lot of battles, only the Lord knows, and I'm not here to complain tonight, because I've never really had to suffer for the gospel. But I owe a debt, because so much was given to me, and I was privileged to see so much and be involved in so many good things. As a boy, I woke up every morning to the sound of prayer. Went to bed every night to the sound of prayer. And through the day, I remember seeing my old dad somewhere praying, or either leaning back against a wall in an old straight-back chair with his Bible in his hands. He did not leave the children anything but an old worn-out Bible. When he died, he left each one of the eight children a worn-out Bible. And I value that. I treasure that Bible more than if he had left me a fortune. Because I know what it stood for, and I know what he stood for, and I know what he lived for, and I know what he loved. I know what his heartbeat was. It was for the souls of men. I can't remember ever going into a restaurant that he did not witness to the waitress or somebody before he left. If he could not do that, he would leave a little message on the napkin. Would you please read and obey Acts 2.38? Everywhere he went, he would always witness to somebody. My younger brother and I, when we got teenagers, we got to sort of making light of it. One day as he went into a cleaner's, uh, before he left, he was standing there witnessing and talking to the man who owned the cleaner's. And I said, Joe, take daddy's Bible if he's going to preach. So Joe walked in, handed him his Bible, and he looked at him sort of strange, held on to the Bible. He didn't say anything, kept talking. Finally, when he came and took his place in the car, he said, boys, you ought to be ashamed of yourselves. I was there trying to snatch a soul out of hell, and you made light of it. And it condemned me greatly. I made up my mind right then and there that I'd never be guilty of that again. He never met a stranger. He witnessed everybody he ever met. And it was rather amusing when the year of the merger, he and my two brother-in-laws rode the train from Tulsa, Oklahoma to St. Louis. And uh, they, each one of them, weighed about 250 pounds. And they got in a taxi cab from the railway station to uh, the, the convention place and dad was sitting in the back seat between these two 250 pounders they all had on black suits and so dad was going to find a way to start witnessing to this man and he said uh, young man are you ready to die 
and he looked in his rearview mirror and saw those three black suits, he probably thought the mafia had arrived ahead of time. That was his way of opening the door to witness. And he never met a stranger, never met anybody that he didn't witness to. And uh, I'll never forget that beautiful example that he left, the example of a prayer life, the example of consecration, the example of uh, his love for the truth. So I feel uh, with that I owe this generation a debt. I know that I'll never get it paid, but I promised the Lord after the service last night. If he would just give me strength and give me a voice, I will spend the rest of my life doing my best to help God's people and try to preserve our beautiful Pentecostal heritage. I don't know how you feel, but I love Pentecost, and I like it just like it is. And I'm not ready to change. I want to keep it going in the right direction. It's something that's been entrusted in my hands. And I want to do my best to declare his generation. We are called upon in this hour as the United Pentecostal Church to take our stand like we never have before. We are living in a world of pressure, a world of trouble, a world of compromise. We're living in a world where millions are receiving the Holy Ghost by speaking with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. We look at them and we see no outward physical change. And we hear about some of the things that they're involved in. If we're not careful, we'll get our eyes upon them and we'll get to thinking, they didn't pay much of a price. Why should we pay the price that we are paying? But I'm here to tell you tonight, we must keep paying the price. We've got to do it. There's no other way. There is no other way. And I want to try to nail some things down here this closing night of this district conference tonight. Bear with me just for a little while. I'll give you something that God has impressed upon my heart just the last few weeks. I've been seeking the Lord earnestly. I would go home at night after I would preach to my people and I would weep and I would say, Oh God, let me be right. Help me to be right. I don't want to preach anything to my people that is not scriptural or that is not necessary. Help me to be right. And in the middle of my times of seeking God and earnestly desiring the will of God, the Lord began to drop some things into my heart. And I want to do my best to pass it on to as many people as I possibly can. Now there is no doubt but that we are the generation that's going to end up the Master's work upon uh, in this world. There is no doubt in our hearts but what we're that last generation. The generation upon whom the ends of the world has come. That means that there is a responsibility that rests upon my shoulders, upon your shoulders. If we are that last generation, we'd better do everything that we can. And I believe it with all of my heart. I believe that we are a part of that last generation. But over eight decades ago, God visited the United States with a revival. It was the early part of the latter rain revival. It came as a result of men and women who were hungry for God. 
They were sick and tired of, of their religion and their organization, their order, form, and ritual. They wanted something real. They turned to the book of Acts. They studied it carefully. And they made up their minds that if it was in the Bible, they could have it. They set themselves to seeking the face of the Lord at the turn of the century. I would have you to notice, the revival did not come to any particular religious denomination. It did not come to any particular organization. It came to a group of people who were simply hungry. They were seeking after God. And at the turn of the century, the early morning hours, the Holy Ghost fell in Topeka, Kansas. It began the latter-day revival. It swept from there to Houston, Texas, from there to Los Angeles, California, and to Chicago and to other parts of the United States. But the thing that I noticed when God began to talk to my heart, He bypassed certain religious orders. He bypassed certain religious organizations because these folks thought they had it made. There was nothing else for them. There was no need for them to seek God for anything further. I want to tell you here and now, we never stop seeking the Lord. The Apostle Paul said that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. Now there's no doubt that Paul knew who Jesus was because he appeared to him and he said of himself, I was one that was born out of due season. He confessed to the fact that he had seen the Lord. So he knew who he was. But there was that hunger and that desire for an ongoing revelation of knowing Him. That I may know Him. He knew who He was, but He wanted to know Him. That should be the cry of our hearts tonight. Never be satisfied. Never be content. Always seek for more. Oh, that I may know Him. My consuming, burning desire is to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Know Him in the power of His resurrection and in the fellowship of His suffering. God had to bypass a religious people, religious order, denomination, a certain organization to pour out of His Spirit. I also read in my Bible that uh, nearly 2,000 years before that time was revealed to this world as God manifest in the flesh. There was another religious group, a religious order, an organization. They had the laws. They had the commandments. They had everything down in order. In fact, the Pharisees had the law down so well that they learned how to figure out a thousand and eight ways that a man could break the Sabbath day alone. That's how much they were into the law. But they failed in searching the law and all of their religious order to, to notice that there were over 250 prophecies leading to the birth of the Messiah. They should have known where he was going to be born, the time he was going to be born, how he was going to be born. 
But they were too busy figuring out the law. They were too busy working on the regular order. They somehow lost sight of it. The Bible said in John, the first chapter, He came unto His own. His own received Him not. But to as many as did receive Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to those who believe on His name. What are you saying, Brother Kilgore? I'm simply saying this, that if the religious order of the day, of the turn of the century, missed out on it, then it's possible that you and I, if we're not careful, we could miss out on the second appearing of the glorious God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So don't forget who we are, Brother Kilgore. Don't forget. No, I don't want to forget who we are. But I want to maintain that. I want to make sure that we're sensitive to the Spirit and hear what the Spirit is saying to the church in this hour. We can look at all of our rules and regulations and bylaws and work on programs and get so involved intricately in our programs that we fail to see the signs of the time and God would have to bypass us to reach somebody else. In the Old Testament, God chose three individuals. They were called the patriarchs. They were those that were given the covenant promise. The covenant relationship was first given to Abraham. He was called out of his country, away from his kindred. The Lord said, Abraham, if you will, I will. If you'll walk before me, if you'll keep my commandments, I will make of you a great nation. Abraham journeyed as seeing him who is invisible. He never forgot the commission. He never forgot the call. He never forgot the covenant relationship. In his lifetime, he built seven altars. Each one of those seven altars represented something. Access to the throne or to the presence of God. It meant acceptance. It meant sacrifice. It meant protection. It meant blessing. Every one of those seven altars that Abraham built as the first one who received the covenant relationship represented something special. Abraham never journeyed very far, but that he didn't stop to build an altar. The altar was very important in his life, and he stayed close to an altar. But the next generation came along. His name was Isaac. Isaac inherited everything he received. He did not get it by revelation. He received it because his father Abraham handed it to him. He was given wealth. He was given promises. He was given the covenant because he represented that second generation. There are many of us who represent second generation Pentecost. We didn't have to go through the Brush Arbor days. We didn't have to go through the rotten eggs, the threatenings, uh, the tar and feathers, the beatings. I've never been threatened like that. Although when I was a boy, my dad went through it and I saw it. I remember in Heiko, Texas, we were having a tent meeting. And I was a boy about nine years old. I walked across the road from the tent meeting. I noticed there were a gang of men there. They had great big tubs of rocks. And when that holy roller preacher gets started, 
Then we're going to all surround that tent and we're going to start throwing the rocks. And uh, we're going to break up this meeting and run them out of town. I remember as a boy I was scared half to death. I ran to the tent. I sat down by my mother. I said, Mother, we better get out of here as fast as we can. Those men across the road are going to throw rocks in here. We'll be killed. She patted me on the knee and she said, Son, everything's going to be all right. And she began to close her eyes and pray. When my mother prayed, heaven stopped to listen to what she had to say. She prayed and she prayed. My dad started preaching. The anointing of the Lord came upon him. And uh, first thing you know, those men began to come from across the road. And they began to stand to hear the sound of the preaching. And after a while, when he got through preaching, every one of those men converged on that altar, began to repent of their sins. Thank God. Oh, I don't want to forget the sacrifice of those men of days gone by. I don't want to forget the threatenings. I don't want to forget the way the hand of God moved and the way the power of God was manifested for them. I must not, I must not forget that. I have been given so much. It was handed to me. It was given to me. I must not forget that I need an altar in my life. I must not forget that covenant promise. I must not forget that I am the generation upon whom the ends of the world is come. I must not forget my responsibility that I must declare His generation or I'm going to lose it. I look at all the fine young people coming up in our ranks. If there's any group that I love, it's young people in Pentecost. I'd rather be voted in president of Pentecostal Conquers than to be assistant general superintendent. My heartbeat is with our youth. They're not fighting the battles of threatenings, but they are fighting the battle of opposition of the powers of darkness. And I told I told my own young people recently, if you can go through this world and keep yourself clean, and you young ladies be pure when you marry, and you young men stay sanctified through your lifetime with all of the pressure of drugs and drink and devils and all the powers of darkness around you. I said, I believe I could almost promise you that you'll get a reward that would be as great as a martyr because in some ways it would be easier to lay down your life and have your head chopped off than to go through that day-by-day -day pressure, temptation, evil, strength. And so, I'm saying to all the young people here tonight, You've got to declare His generation. You've got to let the world know there are still clean young people. You've got to let the world know there are still those that take their stand for righteousness. Praise God. Don't compromise. Turn your back on it. Stay right in there. Hang in there. Fight the devil with everything that's within you. You're going to come forth victorious. You're going to stand someday and say, 
I was one of those that declared his generation. There came a time in Isaac's life. Report came to him. All the wells that your father dig, the Philistines have come along and they filled them up. What are you going to do about it? He put on his fighting clothes. He began to redig, dug into those wells that his father Abraham had uh, dug before him. And he got that free fresh, flowing water from those wells again. They had to fight the Philistines. I will say in my generation, we have fought false doctrine. We have fought latter rain. We fought never die religion, the school of the prophets. And we're still fighting today. Subtle forces that come along that would try to decorate itself up and say, we are Pentecost. We need to look for the apostolic Pentecostals. Amen. But then that third generation came along. And uh, they had received things like the second generation. Jacob was his name. Jacob was the supplanter, the deceiver, the trickster. He was the man who got everything he got by trickery and by deception. He didn't have to work for it, didn't have to pray for it. He rocked along and just uh, rode the crest for a long time. Let me say a word to you young men that feel the call of God upon your heart. You are our third generation Pentecostals. You have rode the crest of great churches that somebody else built. You have preached in places where somebody else has labored. You didn't have to fight the devil and drive the fowls of the air away. You entered into somebody else's labor. But you may come to that place, and you will if you have not, where you come to that place in your life and in your ministry. If I'm going to be effective, I've got to have that special touch from God. Jacob knew that he was going to meet an angry brother Esau. And so he spent the night by a little brook praying. He had to prepare himself. He'd been able to survive by his own means, methods and ways up until now. But now it's different. He's got to have that special touch. That night when he prayed and wrestled with the angel of the Lord, he said, if you'll touch me, I'll meet Esau. If you'll just touch me, I'll carry the message. If you'll just touch me, I'll be different. God had to kill him to capture him. Had to tame him to rename him. But oh friend, when he came out on the other side of that all night prayer meeting, 
I want you to know he was a crippled man. He walked differently than he ever did before, but he had something here that he had never experienced before, and his name was changed from Jacob to Israel. As a prince, you have power with God. You have prevailed. Now you're able. Amen. Jacob, you can go on now. You can fulfill the covenant relationship that God gave to your father Abraham. To declare his generation. I'm going to throw out four anchors here tonight. And I'm going to tell you that these are the anchors that have held the United Pentecostal Church through all of the storms that we've gone through. And don't you think the storms are all over? And don't you think the devil loves us? And don't you think he's forgotten us? He knows that we're around and he's going to do everything in his power through subtle means, through compromising efforts to try to get us to be a part of the rest of the world. Praise God. Hand me that chair, brother. I want an anchor here tonight. I want this anchor to represent that that we love and hold so dearly. There is no worship like Pentecostal worship. Amen. There are other, other groups come along to teach us how to worship in a new way. But I love the old-fashioned way. I'll tell you. I'd... I'd like to take Brother Hudson home with me. I like the way he leads the singing. I like the way he gives it everything he's got. I like that old-time singing. I like that old-time shouting. I like that old-time worship of the Lord. Oh, friend, let's hold to this anchor. This anchor has held us through the years. When we first had threw it out, we were called holy rollers. We were called crank pots. We were called a little bit of everything. But we held on to this anchor and it just kept holding the church of the living God. Praise God. My Bible says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know you that the Lord he is God. It is He that made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving. Into His presence with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good. Hallelujah! I've anchored my soul. I've anchored my soul in that haven of rest. Hallelujah! This anchor has held us because there's something that makes us a little bit different from all the rest of the world. And that's the fact that we can love and praise and worship and honor Him. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I want to declare His generation by telling the world that we still worship Him in spirit and in truth. 
and we love Him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And every once in a while, the only way we can show that we love Him with all of our soul and mind and strength, we just get beside ourselves. We jump up and down. We dance in the Spirit. We clap our hands. We lift our arms. We lift our voices. Glory! Amen! I'm glad for that old-fashioned way of worship. I don't want to change it. It's held us as a Pentecostal church. Don't ever try to have a dull, dead, dry, boring service. Don't ever try to act like the other church world. Let's always feel that there is certain something that we can enjoy when we come into His presence and it touches our souls. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord. One of our dear Pentecostal ladies, years ago, received the Holy Ghost, loved the truth, loved the church, and her husband hated it. He kept fighting against her, threatening her, told her she couldn't live there. One day she started out the door to go to church after he'd threatened her, put a gun to her head and said, if you walk out of that door and go to that church today, I'm going to kill you. Now what are you going to do? She said, if you pull that trigger, I'm going to go to heaven. But if you don't, if you don't, I'm going to go to church. Praise God. My dad was preaching a tent meeting in Fort Worth, Texas, before I was ever born. And on the way home from the tent meeting one night, a fine man and his wife was walking along. A fellow jumped out of an alley and stuck a gun in their back and said, Stick them up. You know what Pentecostal people do when they stick them up? <laughs> they started praising and worshiping. And that woman got to talking in tongues. Like to scare that old boy to death. He ran off. Now don't try that unless you're in the Spirit and full of the Holy Ghost. If you're full of the Holy Ghost, you may get to go to heaven. If not, you may get to go back to church. But oh, thank God for the good old-fashioned Pentecostal worship. Hallelujah. Brother Alan Ox preached for us last fall. And uh, one of the ladies enjoyed his message so much in our church, she sent Dr. James Dobson a tape of his message. He called the church and wanted us to send it on a reel, the original. Called Brother Hoggs and asked for permission to play it on his program, which he did. I was so moved at the end of that service. I stepped up and began to sing that old song, I want to live the way he wants me to live. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move in the auditorium that morning. And it was just like a sweeping wave of glory from one end of the building to the other. 
And so, I don't know how many people called me last week, and when they heard it, they said, Brother Kilgore, did you hear the program today? I didn't get to hear it. And uh, they said that Dr. Dobson said we allowed the singing and the worship to go on because we wanted you folks out there to feel what those folks were feeling in that church. Let me tell you folks, the world is hungry not for formality. They're hungry for something rich and real. They want to see it and they want to feel it. Hallelujah! another anchor here. This anchor has held the Pentecostal church and it's going to keep holding it if you please. Thank you very much. The second anchor I want to use here tonight is our anchor of holiness. I need to camp here a little while. I need to stay here a little while. Because there are a lot of people who think that holiness is not necessary now. Be ye holy, for I am holy. But I want to tell you something, folks, third generation Pentecostals. It's got to be more than just what somebody has told you you have to live. I love it because a long time ago it became a spirit in my life. There's got to be the spirit of holiness that grips your heart. It's no longer thou shalt not, thou shalt not. It becomes a law within the heart. It's written there on the tables of our heart. It's a spirit of holiness that becomes very much a part of your life. I read in the third chapter of the book of Revelation, there is another spirit that gets hold of people. That church of Thyatira, or Pergamos maybe it was, uh, the spirit of Jezebel got hold of that church. Not only did it talk about the damnable doctrine that she represented, but it talked about that woman herself. Jezebel, don't ever let that Jezebel spirit get hold of you. You cannot have the Jezebel spirit and the spirit of holiness at the same time. They are diametrically opposed one to the other. But to live for God sometime or another, you've got to pray, Oh God, give me the spirit of holiness and the thing that's kept the Pentecostal church from going into the world and being worldly is the fact that we've had an anchor. We have an anchor. And I want to declare to this generation that that anchor held through many storms. That anchor held through battles. And it's still holding to me. Blow your wildest than O gale on my bark so small and frail. By His grace I cannot fail. My anchor holds, it holds. Thank God my anchor holds. And I want to say to Pentecost tonight, we need that anchor. And it's held us, and it's going to keep holding us. You hear what this preacher has to say? It's going to hold us. The Word of God is still right. First John 2.15, Love not the world, neither things in the world. Any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
and a worldly spirit will cause you to reach toward the world. You'll feel something slipping. Your anchor will not hold if you go that direction. But if you love holiness, now the spirit of holiness, thank God the world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. There is a strange scripture in the book of Ezekiel 14 and 14. Three men, their names are linked together. The only time they're linked together is in that one chapter. And it says, though these three men were in it. Though these three men were in it. Yet they're going to save themselves. They were called Noah, Daniel, and Job. Now, why did the writer put those three names together? It was not dispensational, and it was not ministerial, because they were not all prophets, they were not all preachers. Uh, But uh, they each represent the battles that we have to fight. Listen to me just a moment. The Bible tells us that Noah overcame the world. The Bible tells us that. Noah was in this world, it reached for him, but his righteous soul was vexed with their filthy conversation, but he kept himself pure. He walked right in this world that he lived in, and he kept himself free from all the evil. Thank God that anchor that he held and that day held for him. And so Daniel overcame the flesh. Everything that was possible came against the flesh. They changed his name. They changed his food. They changed his garment. They changed his surroundings. They changed everything about him. But they could not change his love for God. Daniel said, that's all right. I'm going to overcome the flesh. That's all right. Everything's going to be all right. Praise God. They put him in the den of lions and they all went to sleep. Thank God that we can live victoriously and safe in this world and overcome the flesh. But then Job overcame the devil. The devil fought against Job. So the three battles that we have to fight, the world, the flesh, and the devil, these three men were in it, but they're testifying in this convention tonight. They're telling you that holiness pays. Don't let that anchor slip. Third generation Pentecostals, we're coming to the hour of the coming of the Lord. Let's Hold to this anchor and let's let this anchor hold us. Give me another chair. The third anchor I want to talk about tonight is the anchor of the second coming of Christ. That has been our message through the years. I don't care what you believe about the the coming of the Lord. As long as you believe He's coming before the tribulation. There are those that believe in... There are those that believe in pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation, no tribulation. That's all right with me. Believe what you want to believe. Just so you believe that Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth again. And I'm going to tell you folks, that's one of the anchors that has held the Pentecostal church through the years. I grew up on a Pentecostal bench hearing those messages, prepare for the coming of the Lord. He's coming as a thief in the night. 
say, when was the last time you heard a message about the coming of the Lord? That's got to be fresh. We've got to declare His generation by saying, He's coming again. The same Jesus that was taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner. In every one of those eight Bibles that my dad wore out, there are several pages in that Bible that is loose. And every one of those pages are around Matthew chapter 24. He believed in the coming of Christ. He preached it. He lived it. He loved it. He believed in it. That was His anchor that's held us through these years. And my Bible tells me in Matthew 24 that with the generation that's living here to see the budding of the fig tree is going to be the generation here that's going to wind up the Lord's work on this earth. May 14, 1948, Israel was declared a nation. That was in our generation. My friend, we're living in the door of the coming of the Lord. There were 42 moves from the time Israel left Egypt till they got into the promised land. 42 different times they got up and they had to move again. Did you know we're in the 42nd generation since the day of Pentecost? We're in the 42nd generation. I'm not setting a date, but I'm telling you we are so close to the hour of the coming of the Lord. We'd better be on our tiptoes. We'd better be watching and praying. We'd better be searching our hearts. He's coming as a thief in the night. I can remember when those old timers would preach it. I would search my heart. I'd want to pray through all over again. Amen. Brother Andrew Urshan was a great preacher on the second coming. Two weeks before he died, he filled our pulpit all of that week. And then prayed for about 400 people that last night. Leaned against the platform railing. And prayed until everybody that he touched prayed through and talked in tongues. I saw people pray through that had, had not talked in tongues in years. As soon as he got through, he said, you must take me home immediately. I rushed him home. I, I had a feeling that something happened to him that very night. I was concerned and worried about him, but he was more concerned about us. He wanted to make sure those 400 people were prayed through and ready for the coming of the Lord. Oh, friend, if ever a time we need to pray through, not have any bitterness, envy, strife, or jealousy in our hearts, it's now. Would you be ready if the trumpet would sound tonight? Would you be ready for His coming? Praise God. Let's worship the Lord together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I need one more anchor. I've anchored my soul to these things. And I'm going to tell you that's hell, the Pentecostal church, all these years. 
and it's going to continue to hold. And that's the apostolic doctrinal anchor. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. You wouldn't have a United Pentecostal Church today. But if that convention in Hot Springs, Arkansas, refused to allow the brethren of the new issue they called them to stay on the inside, they forced them out of the meeting. 153 of those men stood out in the foyer, wondering what they were going to do. What is our next step? They stood there loving the illumination of the revelation. They were singing the old doxology inside, Blessed Holy Trinity, and these 153 stood on the outside, and God spoke Isaiah 66 and 5 to them, said, Your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, said, Let the Lord be glorified. But he shall appear to your glory, your rejoicing, and to their shame. The Oneness Church was built that day, started that day by men who took their stand. They said, we're going to throw out our anchor. That's going to be it, that doctrinal anchor. And I'm here to tell you tonight that it has held this church all these years. When latter rain came along, the doctrinal anchor held us. Praise God. When other, when other groups would arise and speak perverse things, this anchor held us. If you... If if you don't want to be a part of false doctrine, false teaching, you'd better anchor your soul to this doctrine. Don't give in to it. We're going to declare His generation by telling the world there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's above all, through all, and in you all. I'm going to declare again tonight there are seven foundation stones upon which the Pentecostal church is built. That is the miraculous virgin birth, the absolute sinless life, the atoning death at Calvary, the, the burial and the coming forth of the resurrection, the bodily ascension into heaven, the great high priestly role that he's playing today, and his soon second return for the church. And every one of those foundation stones relate to the person of its founder. And there's only one person in the Godhead, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. I want the world to know that Jesus is Jehovah. Glory! Praise God. Brother Young was listening to radio broadcast. Brother Simon Young's brother in his city in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, a few Sundays ago, and he heard the Baptist preacher, First Baptist Church, say, Now, folks, the, the Jehovah of the Old Testament is Jesus of the New Testament. And so he rushed home and picked up the telephone and called the pastor. He said, I just heard the broadcast. Do you folks really believe uh, what you are saying? And he said, Yes. 
said, who taught you this? Nobody. We got to digging into the scriptures, a group of us. And we have discovered that the Jesus of the New Testament is the Jehovah of the Old Testament. There shall be light in the evening time. Thank God there's a sovereign act of God that's going on in this world tonight. God is revealing this glorious truth. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank God for this anchor. It's held us. It's still holding tonight. Praise God. Jesus is Jehovah. Jehovah is Jesus. Isaiah 40 and 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And then when you turn to Matthew 3 and 3, it was said of John the Baptist, this is the one that Isaiah the prophet spoke about. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Hallelujah. When you look at the Old Testament, you see that there is a king of glory. Uh, Psalms 24, lift up your heads, O you gates. Be you lifted up, you everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. He is the king of glory. But then when you turn to the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 2 and 8 said, Which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known Him, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Hallelujah. Acts 20 and 28, Paul gave instruction to the Ephesian elders. He said, Take heed unto yourself and to all the church over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which He hath purchased with His own blood. Amen. I like that glorious truth. The Jehovah of the Old Testament was the first and the last. Isaiah 44 and 6, Thus saith the Lord and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. But when you turn to Revelation 1 and 8, you hear John say, Behold, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last. Thank God. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But when you turn to 1 John 3 and 16, it says, Hereby perceive we the love of God. He laid out His life for His friends. Oh, I'm telling you tonight, uh, He was God manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Thank the Lord. Do you love this truth tonight? Oh, glory. Hallelujah. In the Old Testament, read Joel 2 and 32. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, he that calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then you turn to the New Testament, Acts 4 and 12. It said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name given under heaven among men, whereby we must be saved. Thank God for the name of Jesus. 
this anchor is still holding. And I want this generation to know that we're going to declare his generation by declaring his wonderful doctrine. This truth, if you please. Trinitarian friend of mine was in the garage where I happened to be a few years ago in Houston. And he said, well, Brother Kilgore, really, we're not all that far apart. You folks emphasize the name and we emphasize the blood. And we feel like the blood is more important. I said, wait just a minute. How can you separate his name from his blood? Even those Jewish leaders knew that much. They said, if you keep going out on those streets and preaching that doctrine, you're going to bring this man's blood. Every time you speak in the name of Jesus, you're causing his blood to be on our hands. I don't understand the mystery of it all, but I can tell you one thing. Every time I say it, my brother or my sister, upon the confession of your faith and in obedience to the words of our Lord and Master, I now baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something about that name. Gets down in that water. Goes down into that heart. Cuts away something. Takes away that stony heart. Thank God for the blood. Thank God for the name. I'm going to tell you folks, we better stay with this anchor. This doctrinal anchor has held us through the years. United Pentecostal, we're not going to leave this anchor. It's a holding. It's holding tonight. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. You are my witnesses, saith Jehovah, and my servants whom I have chosen, that you may know and understand that I am He. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be any after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Amen. First John 5, 20, 21 says, For we know the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding of Him who is true. We are in Him who is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from us. Thank God for the truth. close this conference on a high note. I want you to go home knowing what the United Pentecost Church stands for. I don't want you to go home troubled any longer. I don't want you to go home confused any longer. I don't want you to go home wondering what we're going to have to do next. 
I'm going to tell you, we're going to keep on worshiping like we always did. We're going to preach the coming of the Lord. We're going to believe in holiness. And we're going to stay steadfast with the doctrine. has become brand new in my heart. I sought God earnestly. There were nights I almost wept myself to sleep. God, I'm a leader. What are we going to do? So many are edging toward the world. And they think, they think we've got to leave this truth in order to reach somebody else. I wept and cried and prayed. And when God began to drop this into my soul, I feel like I'm a reborn creature. And I'm going to preach it with everything that is within me. I owe a debt. I owe a debt. I owe a debt. I owe a debt to C.P. Kilgore. Preached 44 years, averaged a sermon a night. Built 15 churches, baptized around 10,000 people with his own hands in Jesus. And when he looked up from that sick bed when I started to leave to go home, he said, Son, I want to tell you, like David told his son Solomon, I go the way of all the earth. Show yourself a man and be strong. I want to tell. That body that's laying in that garden of prayer, lot number 110. Dad, I love what you loved. I'm going to declare this generation. Although I owe that to that little old-fashioned mother who died with cancer when she was 66 years old. Never owned a home or never owned furniture. Made the best of every situation. Lived in church houses. She would string wire across the church and hang quilts to separate and make bedrooms. My younger brother and I would take the towels and fan the flies off while she'd get the food on the table. 
lived under every condition, but died having a revelation on Sunday morning before she died on Tuesday. She saw the Lord Jesus. Started talking in tongues and for days couldn't even make a sound that we could understand. Didn't even have enough strength to write. But that Sunday morning, we were kneeling around her little bed in that little trailer house. My dad said, let's pray for Mother one more time. That's all it took was that one more prayer. My dad, my two sisters, a brother-in-law, and myself was kneeling and praying and crying and our heads on the floor almost. All of a sudden we heard a strange sound. Looked up and there was Mother sitting up in the bed. Those little old bony hands going together, talking in tongues for about an hour. And then when she finally got through speaking in tongues, she started talking to the Lord Jesus, carried on a conversation for a long time. Finally, she lay back in the bed and with a strong voice said, I've made it in, I've made it in. My dad said, Mother, what did you see? She said, Oh, didn't you see that beautiful stream? And didn't you see the Lord Jesus standing on the other side asking me to come over and be with Him? She said, Didn't you see me walk over that stream? She said, I crossed that stream and I am now in the presence of the Lord. Everybody that came in the trailer the next two days, she said, Did you hear the good news? I've made it in. Brother Bibbs told me to tell you, if you're going to make it, you've got to walk with God. Don't let anything stop you. For if I make it in, I must walk close to Him. I would debt to that little mucker. I would debt to the Pentecostal church. Thank the Lord. I'm telling you folks, these anchors is what has held us these years. And it's going to hold us when this old world's on fire and the earth is wrapped in flames. Let's love Him again.